today's message, Women Who Made a Difference, Part 3, Not Enough Credit Given, this series has to do with the lack of acknowledgement um, of women throughout Scripture. They always get this smaller role, and again, it's probably because men wrote the Bible. And the patriarchy that was governing their world and their culture um, did not give credit where credit was due. And then Jesus comes and he becomes the true liberator. So it's been kind of fun going through the stories and seeing how, how much of an impact the women have throughout the scriptures. And today we're going we're gonna to step it up and we're going to end it next week. So we're not finishing today, but next week we're going to get into uh, how women played roles as pastors, as teachers, unlike what we may have been told depending on uh, your church background. Because in some churches women can't teach or have leadership roles, which is... And we'll talk about that next week some more. But uh, I want this to be an encouraging time to first encourage the women that this is an equality thing. Uh, I want to encourage men to open your eyes to see women are equally involved in all aspects of life and in the scriptures and in how the story is played out. So uh, that's why I'm doing this. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. And I thought, okay, I want to highlight the Pentecost uh, event. Um, but then I realized this actually ties in with, with this whole uh, uh, series very well. In fact, it ramps it up and shows something that we have not seen before. So let's uh, go to this little clip. This will be a, a short uh, video on what um, uh, Pentecost Sunday is all about. Enjoy this for a moment. Once upon a time, there was a great wind, a mighty life-giving energy that breathed everything into existence, a power that moved along the waters of the deep, the Spirit of God. One day, a group who loved God was praying and meeting, celebrating a Jewish feast with friends and family, unaware of what was going to happen. Heaven was about to pay a visit. A violent wind filled the room where they prayed. Tongues of fire descended, separated, and rested on each of them. The Spirit of God didn't just come near them, the Spirit filled them. And each one began to speak in a foreign language, the many languages of all the people who lived in Jerusalem. All those who passed by marveled at what they saw. How could it be that each one could hear their own native language at the same time? Some claimed it was miraculous. Others scoffed and called them drunk. But Peter stepped forward and boldly proclaimed the truth. What the scripture described long ago had now come to pass right before their eyes. I will pour out my spirit, the Lord told his people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Here was the moment. The power of God filled the faithful. The body of Christ rose up, alive and active, equipped and empowered to love God, to love others. The good news continues to be proclaimed. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the best news is, for those who believe, the story never ends.
Wow. That's just a small picture. And if you're not familiar with the story, we are going to get into it right now. This is a uh, short reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, to give you a picture of what this Pentecost Sunday is all about. And this is celebrated around the world today, which is really cool. In fact, uh, St. James uh, Lutheran Church, they're having a service right now over in the sanctuary. I'm in the office. They're over in the sanctuary, and they're enjoying. They're also celebrating an emphasis on Pentecost Sunday. Here we go. Uh, from Acts 2, 1 to 4. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples, believers, were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing to the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering that all anyone it, it was all anyone could hear. You can imagine how loud that would be. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they'd never heard. This is where the whole Pentecost Sunday came about. I saw a meme this morning. It says, don't stay calm. It's Pentecost Sunday. No, it's Pentecost Sunday. Don't stay calm. Do you know how they say be calm and whatever? Uh, it was the opposite. Don't be calm. It was really funny. Um, but I didn't have time to throw it up on the screen here. But here's the cool part about this, this Pentecost Sunday. Um, <laughs> watch this. All the disciples and believers were gathered in one place. And I'm pleased with how the video... Uh, depicted men and women because it was there was I think there was 120 a lot of people up in that room it was men and women and it says all of the disciples or sorry those disciples were in one place and then when that fire uh, uh, separated onto tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them men and women and here's the best part they were all A-L-L filled with and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues Listen, this is not a gender thing. It was male and female. Um, were there non-Jews there? I don't know. We don't know that. But maybe not. But either way, it, it's, it's both genders. And the fact that we're focusing on um, how important women played a role in the early church, this is the beginning. They were all filled just as much as a man, just as and the women, just as much as, as, as the men, the women, the men, just as much as the women. It was equal. So... This whole idea of gender-driven leadership, hmm, it's actually not a thing. It's a man-made thing. And we have done a great disservice to the bride of Christ uh, with our negative emphasis on women in ministry and not allowing them. I know there, here in Elmira, there are churches that will not allow women ministers. I better not get into this right now. Um, we'll get into it next week. Um, and it, it frustrates me. And I'll share a story next week on how I witnessed this change beginning in another denomination, uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and what happened that I saw firsthand that was the beginning of a floodgate that opened up, and it was quite beautiful. Regarding women in ministry and leadership and the curse of patriarchy, this is, this is, this is speaking to that problem. Women are not the problem. They are the answer and i don't i don't with the next couple slides i forget where i received the uh this this from but when i read it i loved it uh so i did not write this but i think it's quite powerful women are not the problem they are the answer 
Jesus broke every curse against us by hanging on that tree, even the curse of the fall, whatever the fall is. So as we gain access back into that was into what was the garden it is now the kingdom because we have the power over our adversary god is king and he has made us regents let's get back to i love this let's get back to co-operating co-ruling and reigning co-reigning turning the world into a huge garden of pleasure and delight Ooh, i love that eden is the model we envision speak and see it into becoming so a little bit of quantum there God said it is not good that man should be alone. Adam was sad. Women bring happiness and joy and meaning and passion to the fullness of the image of God. Truly, women are the crowning jewel of creation. Ooh, that's powerful. May the daughters of Eve be restored to the glory we had with him when the world, worlds were made. This is from an unknown source. Woo-wee. That was a bit strong, and if you're not used to that uh, emphasis, I'm sorry. Not sorry. Um, but this is what we need to hear. We need to see the equality uh, in, in all of us, and I think it's pretty cool. So let's, let's continue. We've got a couple more people to talk about that had a very powerful impact in the Scriptures. In fact, uh, Ruth is part of the lineage of Christ. So we're talking about Naomi right now. Naomi was the mother-in-law. All right, this is a sad story. Uh, really, really uh, powerful story. So Ruth saw how Naomi handled herself in the family. So she was witnessing her demeanor, her uh, sense of care. Um, she, she, she had had a lot of loss. So she, Naomi uh, was showing how she handled grief. And so Ruth was seeing firsthand how this works. She saw that the source of Naomi's strength lay in her faith. This was a big, big testimony. In Ruth 1 verse 6, New Living Translation, it says this, But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave leave you and turn back. Whatever, Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Now, why is she saying this? Well, they just had loss. Their husbands had died. And so Naomi was saying to the two daughters-in-law, Please go back to your countries. Uh, go, 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 go. Uh, like, go back to your people. There's nothing left anymore. And because of the the... Life lived well. Um, Ruth did not want to leave Naomi. There was something about Naomi that she wanted to stay connected. It was her mother-in-law after all. And so a very, very powerful story. Again, if you haven't read the story for a while, go read it. It's really good. In Ruth 1 verse 19 to 22, it says, so, so the two of them continued on their journey. That's right, the one went off. But now it's just Ruth that went along. When they came to Bethlehem, <clears throat> what town? Bethlehem. Where is the lineage of Jesus from? Town of David, Bethlehem. Okay, so this is the historical picture. This is why Ruth is part of the lineage of Christ. And you'll see more as we go. So the two of them continued on their journey. They came to Bethlehem. The entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi, the women asked? But don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter, bitter for me. Now, <laughs> depends on how you read scripture. If, if you take 
her perspective as truth, then you got a problem. Her perspective was that God was making life bitter for her. God was not making life bitter for her. And God does not make life bitter for you. This is really important, but it says so in the Bible. Well, there's a story in the Bible that alludes to that, but it's subjective. It's not objective. So she calls, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Cause she's, she's uh, just has no joy left. She's lost all, everything really. And some would say, well, yeah, I'd feel like that too. And that's, it's allowed. David did the same thing in the Psalms. He was, he vented, he, he was upset and sad and depressed. The emotions don't determine who we are. It just reveals what we are thinking at any given time. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Again, a subjective false concept of who God is and how he lives. But, but all she had was her historical teaching, the background of the prophets, the writings, whatever they believed, their culture. This is how she saw it. So Naomi returned to Moab, uh, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Why is that important? Because it's because of the barley harvest, Ruth will then find a husband. Um, so a guy named Boaz. The joke is, so what was Boaz uh, before he married her? Well, he was ruthless. That's it. Silly joke, but anyway. All right. Another person who had uh, an influence. We heard a kid's story about this a couple weeks back. I forget who it was who did this story, um, but it's a powerful one. So women play a big, big role. They're, they're fierce fighters for life and protection and care. Here's a mother with nothing in 2 Kings 4, 1 to 7. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Because they were allowed to do that back then. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all. Oh, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, well, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons, shut the door behind you, pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another, after another, after another. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the oil stopped flowing. All right, we pause there for a moment. There was a miracle that happened. Obviously, this little tiny whatever size jar that was used to uh, fill up all these other bigger ones, whatever size that was, it clearly was smaller than all the other jars. So here the oil is flowing. I, I've talked about this before. I've, I've, I've taught this in another sermon but when did the oil stop flowing when there's no more of nothing when there was no more emptiness when emptiness was gone there's no more need to fill 
which is kind of interesting. So sometimes we think we have to be so perfect in our self-sufficiency, making sure our bank accounts are padded and our fridges are over full and we hoard toilet paper and we hoard gasoline. Oh, that's, I'm just kidding about that stuff. But the idea of trying to self-provide doesn't bring you to a place of dependency it brings you to a place of self-sufficiency and trusting in your own resources here she had nothing and she had to call and get more nothing from other people <laughs> it was john maxwell who said when there's none when when there's uh, when when there's no more emptiness in your life i forget what the phrase i forget now but it was very powerful the idea of if you're asking god for help um sometimes what the thing is that you seem to be lacking may become the very gift to you as you depend on him in all that you have see how that works so when she told the man of god what had happened he said to her now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over so naomi she takes care of the crisis of being in loss and brings her daughter-in-law with her back to her hometown um, so fierce fighter, here's a mother who's going to lose everything, going to lose her kid to slavery because she has nothing. And oh my goodness. And so here God steps in through Elisha. Now, sometimes I wish she would just do the same thing and take an empty bank account, and just keep filling it and filling it's empty enough, right? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, some people have stories of funky, weird things like that, that are miraculous. I don't get it. And that's okay. But be careful how you wish on someone else's miracle. All right? Don't go claiming somebody else's victory or blessing and say, I want that too. Um, because our eyes are no longer on Christ. It's on the blessing. It's so easy to get caught up in blessing um, um, envy. <laughs> Becoming envious of somebody else being blessed. We see that in the church. We see people experiencing wealth and those that don't have as much get all judgmental. Um, we see the wealthy sometimes become judgmental of those don't, that don't have. Like it, it works both ways. Don't, don't, don't do that. Whatever you have, enjoy between you and the Lord. When the Lord tells you to be generous, be generous. It is wild. Oh my goodness. All right, next woman. Another widow. A mother with no one. This is this is an, another person who had nothing left. All right. This is in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died as a widow's only son and a large crowd from the village was with her. So two large crowds now, a large crowd with Jesus and a large crowd coming with a funeral procession. This is where things get interesting. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin, touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Okay, that would be really freaky. Um, I would love to see that happen at my funerals. <laughs> where I say, get up. I Listen, years ago, I used to uh, go in early <laughs> sometimes. And... Uh, I say, okay, I'm going to try this and make sure no, no one's looking. Okay, 
rise up in the name of Jesus. Get up. Come on. <laughs> I had hope, but, you know, I, may happen one day. I don't know. But uh, very, very wild story here. This, here here's the part you got to go, uh, get. I'm going to go back. This, this line right here. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. It was the compassion that came out of him to the mother, for the mother, for her situation, her only son gone. Oh my. Great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. <laughs> well, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Well, I bet it would. So there's one person he raised from the dead. Um, there's the, well, obviously Lazarus. I think Lazarus was the, the most public and um, uh, non-disputed miracle because it was so in front of everyone, including religious leaders. This one was not so much with religious leaders. Uh, Lazarus was dead four days. This boy was probably dead that day. Um, so even the skeptics get to argue and say, well, he wasn't really dead. They just didn't read the pulse. You can go through all of that stuff. But they knew. You're not going to have a funeral for somebody that's not dead. It's, it's not how it works. So here is another woman who had compassion shown on her. A woman who had nothing. And Jesus spoke into the nothing. Maybe there's not enough nothing in your life. That's one. That was the one of the lines from John Maxwell. Maybe there's not enough nothing in your life. Maybe we're so self-sufficient and dependent on our access. And it's made us less generous as people. Less kind. Um, less understanding towards those that don't have. It's, it's, it's very interesting path may the lord have compassion on you as well then if you are in that category or uh, god's drawing you into recognizing he is your source oh yeah then just give thanks keep giving thanks all right a canaanite woman or the lebanese woman this is a really really good one um i had to do a little bit of research on this one because i was curious about a line that comes up and you'll you'll understand this one so here's another mama she loves her demon-possessed daughter so much that she takes Jesus to the mat and her daughter is healed. That's, this is what's going on here, okay? Uh, and this is in a place where Jesus normally doesn't go. Well, she identifies Jesus as Lord, shouts at him, kneels at his feet, listens to him, reject her, calling her a dog. What? Jesus called somebody a dog? Yep. Let's, let's dig in, though. There's more to it than just calling her a dog. Um, don't use the flat English because that's not going to do you well. Never does. She throws his words back at him, saying that even dogs get to eat the crumbs under the table. So there's a bantering going on in the story. I think we're going to read the text in just a moment. Boldly, she perseveres, and Jesus healed her daughter because of it. So there's a lot going on. It is not just a snobby Jesus calling her dog and ignoring her. There's, there's more going on. He's modeling something for all that are watching and are tuning in. All right. The banter is incredible. Why would Jesus call her a dog? Oh, my goodness. Like, this can be so offensive. And it fits the patriarchal lens. 
Well, here's a couple of things that I found out. She knew that the Jews thought of the afterlife as a feast with the Messiah. They called it the Messianic Banquet. The Jews of the day thought of this future banquet as being a banquet primarily for their own people. But they knew that non-Jews, Gentiles, which is what she was, would be included as well. So she was a knowledgeable woman. Jesus knew that the central defining, sorry, the Jews knew that the central defining moment in their history was the Exodus, when God took them out of slavery, out of Egypt, which is true. It is probably the biggest story of the Jewish history, right? The Ten Commandments movie, the, the plagues of Israel, the Red Sea part, like this, it's all that sensational stuff going on all at once. So this woman knows all this. They knew as Jews uh, that they, it was, sorry, they knew that it was primarily the Hebrews that God rescued from Egypt, but also other people of other nations who wanted to leave. They were also granted the same deliverance they were given. This Canaanite woman knew that she was invited to the heavenly banquet. Now, something that uh, the Charlton Heston movie does really well, and I noticed it even at the very beginning when I was young, I, I noticed this right away. Do you remember the uh, instruction was given, you know, put blood in the doorposts of your house and the angel of death will hover. If he sees it, it'll pass over that house, pass over, which is where we get Passover from Jewish Passover. So here's what's going on in those rooms. I saw uh, how they showed in the movie, at least um, even the guards or um, uh, you name it. There, there were non-Jews in that room. There were Egyptians. There were. Uh, that had come in, they, they, they had this fear. They, again, they've been watching all these plays coming. Some of them are realizing, yeah, this is, this is, uh, uh, this God's kind of freaky. Look at these plagues. And by the time they get to this last one, then here what will be the problem. They're bringing their firstborns, uh, into that room. So they got Jews and non-Jews in the rooms covered over. So when the angel of death passed over the house, it didn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile, all were included in that Passover. Man, I wish Christians would see that. Dang. Here we go. She also knew, this is good, from the language Jesus used, he wasn't calling her a worthless dog. The Greek term translated dog is a term for a puppy or a household pet. Very different. There's another term for what they call the wild, undomesticated dog. So if he was trying to insult her, that's the term he would have used. When Jesus described her as a dog, he was talking about the pets who ate exactly what this woman asked for, the leftovers from the master's table. Household dogs ate the same thing the master and his family ate after they ate. So this, it's, the reason I'm bringing this up is because if you read it flat English, you're going to say, Jesus called her a dog. That's pretty low. That's, that, what's with, where's the kind Jesus? He's there. We're not seeing the whole story. We're not understanding this well enough. So here's what happens. Then he commends her. All right. So he's just had this banter. And then he commends her like, oh my goodness, Matthew 15, 28. Then Jesus answered her, dear woman, your faith is strong. What you desire will be done for you. And at that very moment, her daughter was instantly set free from demonic torment of whatever that was. So this is Jesus saying, hey, first he commends her and then heals. 
So he's raising her up. If if the Jews around them also were judgmental of the non-Jews, which they were, by the way, to hear the banter. In fact, the Jews, uh, sorry, the disciples uh, were annoyed by this woman. Said, "Jesus, send her away. She's she'll she's loud and annoying. Oh, like come on, I'm tired of this screeching sound." But Jesus didn't. He engaged with her. So the fact that he engaged in a discussion, because that wasn't supposed to happen, right? It was very much like the Samaritans, where uh, the Samaritans weren't supposed to talk to Jews at all. But non-Jews rarely did, because they knew the culture. But like the Canaanite woman, we might feel uncomfortable with being around God. All right? There's some things we can learn from this, this Lebanese woman. She was uncomfortable, but she fought through it. Like the Canaanite woman, we might feel that we are not accepted by the religious status quo of our day. Absolutely. Depends what group you're in. Like I was saying earlier about churches not allowing women to lead and speak and teach and all that. Come on. There, there's a religious status quo of that tribe, denomination, people, whatever. Listen, we are moving toward the extreme equality of all where it's neither male, female, Gentile, gender, you name it. None of those things. It's already been called out in the scripture that we are not to see any person after those things. So why do we treat people so separately? Why do we see the inequalities? Why are we exclusive? Why are we not inclusive for all people? Huh? He might seem to be silent initially. So if you're calling out, where's this God I need help from? And he seems silent. <laughs> He will never turn us away. This is the good news of today. Our race, our gender, our status in life has no bearing on the relationship He offers us. He will never turn us away. This is good news on a day like today. Well, that's it for today. I hope it was encouraging to hear the lens of these women who have made a difference, who have had an impact, who we need to hear their stories. We need to. Next week, we're going to get into the final message in the series, and we're going to show, prove how women were pastors and teachers and leaders, how there should not be an inequality. We're going to talk very briefly about the different views on women in ministry and I'm not going to get into the debate. There's way too much research to do. And a single message is not going to convince anyone. That's not the point of it. I am, I'm showing you where I now see things. And I'll share with you my journey, how I've arrived at my conclusions now. And I'll give you the sneak peek of this. The more I discover God as love, the more I discover God as... Um, well, he is love. He's not, it's not an attribute. Um, love is his essence. And the more that's true, the more my lens for others changes. The more I unlearn the system of religion, the more I see a better, more hope-filled picture of who God is. The more I question those doctrines that have fed hate and division and separation the more I challenge those and question those, I see a better picture of a more loving God than I ever dreamed of. And it's like, how could I have believed that? And then I realized I was conditioned by the system of religion. And it's okay, sort of, 
Maybe not. How do I say that? I don't know. I'll say this. I am glad for my history in, in how I've learned, but I'm even more glad I'm not there anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't want to say and become so angry at the past that I see no love in the future. That's where I see a lot of people deconstructing heading. They become angry and bitter. So if somebody's teaching uh, stuff with such anger, oh my, just turn it off, move on. They're, they're not processing their, they're learning very well. There's no more time for the anger, all right? There just isn't. Uh, uh, there are things to be angry for. Oh, my goodness. This Palestinian war thing going on. Oh, my goodness. I'm angry at the loss of life, and no one's doing anything about it. And the ones that seem to be allowing it to continue use religion as a reason to continue. That ticks me off. God's not into killing. God's into giving life. All right? Like, duh. And women... Life givers, life bearers, they're equal, okay? This is big. Anyway, I'm starting to preach next week's sermon. i got to be careful. <laughs> ah. Oh, somebody said they love my minion. Oh, you noticed that right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's crazy. That's, you're the only person that's noticed that. That's very funny. Uh, let's see who else is watching here. We've got uh, people saying uh, Evie did a great job with the kids' story. That's great. Uh, Yeshua, somebody saying thank you to, for sending your videos in. Yeshua lives in Pakistan, and he sends us his worship songs every once in a while. It's, we love using them. Um, we love being connected to you guys. Uh, Sandra in the UK, uh, so glad you chimed in today. Jim Willard down in Windsor, Ontario. Michael, good morning from Indiana. And Donna, both of you, thank you. Yay. And then, of course, uh, Jen and Alan. Yep, very good. Very cool. All right. Um, don't forget, uh, we're going to do our after church uh, uh, Zoom call. So if you don't have the email uh, with the link to join us for the quick Zoom call, please message me on Facebook really quick. And then I'll, I'll paste the link into you. And uh, otherwise, go find this week, your weekly email and join us. Uh, those that are making donations, uh, you can do them online uh, or e-transfer to that email address there. That's it for now. I hope you guys have a really, really, really great week. And uh, we'll see you next week. And I can hardly wait because that'll be, it's going to be a doozy of one. All right. Thanks again for watching. Catch you later.